The following program is for informational and educational purposes only. This program does not replace medical, mental health, or psychological diagnosis and treatment prescribed by your personal physician, psychologist, therapist, or other health care provider. Please consult your provider for diagnosis and care before beginning or changing any program or idea discussed. Welcome to Psych Up Live with your host, Dr. Suzanne Phillips. This is the show that brings you a psychological perspective on common and current life issues. Here is Dr. Suzanne Phillips. Hi. Hi, folks. Thanks for joining me on Psych Up Live. Our show today is about building resilience in teens. Despite the incredible access to information and opportunities available to teens in this culture, it's a difficult time for them. In 2019 alone, there were 46 incidents of gunfire on school grounds. Suicide is the second leading cause of death for ages 10 to 24. 15% of high school students were electronically bullied in the past year. Add the physical and emotional changes of adolescence, and it makes sense to help our teens build resilience. And that is just what our guest offers. Our guest is Cheryl Bradshaw, a psychotherapist specializing in teens. Cheryl is the author of How to Like Yourself, a Self-Esteem Guide for Teens, for which she did a terrific earlier show on Psych Up Live. And her most recent book, which she'll be drawing upon today, is The Resilience Workbook for Teens, Activities to Help You Gain Confidence, Manage Stress, and Cultivate a Growth Mindset. Cheryl Bradshaw knows teens, and she knows how to speak with them. She's worked for seven years as a counselor at the University of Guelph in Canada and Sheridan College, and she's been a frequent contributor to magazines, as well as a guest on TV, radio shows, and podcasts. Cheryl Bradshaw, it is my pleasure to welcome you back to Psych Up Live. Well, thank you so much for having me again. Cheryl, the book is terrific, and I'm hoping... Parents, teachers, guidance counselors, grandmas, as well as teens actually open the book because I think everybody will benefit. Let's start by defining resilience. How would you define resilience for teens? So that's a great question because that was sort of where my head was at in starting to write this book altogether is that at first glance, it seems like the word resilience is pretty obvious. But as we kind of dive deeper into what resilience actually means, uh, it's actually really important we have a handle on, on what we're actually trying to look at. So one of the interesting things about resilience is it's used in all sorts of different ways, both sort of commonly and sort of layman's terms. It's also used uh, in sort of scientific language. And in looking at making this workbook really work to build resilience in teens, I wanted to make sure that we were actually tackling what the research shows us contributes to real life skills of resilience. So for this, I turned to the research and as people are studying resilience, there's a few different types of uh, tools, some scales that they use to measure different populations, sort of before and after uh, different events and different interventions. And some of those skills, um, are, are measured by a, a scale called the Connor Davidson Resilience Scale, um, the CD risk. Anyway, that was sort of my guide a little bit as I was looking at putting all these different activities together. And it looks at uh, a bunch of different items around sort of self-efficacy, sense of humor, 
secure attachment to others, the ability to adapt to change, commitment, control, thinking of change as a challenge, patience, and the ability to tolerate stress and pain as well as optimism and faith. So there's a whole bunch of different sort of aspects that can contribute to it. And throughout the book, the the different activities and the goals that are used, we've sort of taken each of those themes and turned them into real life, real world activities that can help really start to build those those different skills for teens. You know, the whole idea that resilience isn't just something that you're born with, you're born strong, you're born intelligent, you're born um, great with music. The idea of being able to change and the idea build and really build resilience is one of the gifts of the workbook. So let's take a look. What were the five goals? You narrowed it down to five goals uh, in that teens could address in this resilience workbook. Yeah, so each of those goals, um, the book sort of starts off with goal one, which is around the ability to adapt to change. So not only is it possible for us to adapt to change and to change our brains and to rewire them, um, there are different sort of aspects that are going to be involved in that. So the coolest thing about our brains is that they can continue to grow and change and shift. It doesn't matter how old we are or what we've experienced in our life. Everybody's brain has this ability. Now, one of the funny things about our brain, though, is it doesn't always like to allow us to do this ability without any resistance whatsoever. So our brains are built as little efficiency machines, and they like to kind of really make sure that whatever it is we're going to change that's already a habit or something we do without a lot of effort, if we want to undo that and redo it in a different way, our brain's going to kind of challenge us a little bit on that because it's going to try and conserve energy and it's going to try and make us, you know, really efficient. And when we go back and try to redo something our brain thinks we've already done, sometimes it throws a bit of a resistance. Mm-hmm. So the very first set of exercises around adapting to change are around um, sort of opening up to and embracing this resistance as part of the process. Um, And that as we look at moving towards change, we also have to let go of our old story and that we have to kind of grieve the loss of that, that change as we look at who we're, we're working on becoming and what new skills we want to add into ourselves as we sort of grow and change and shift. So then after... Oh, sorry, go ahead. I was going to ask you to describe the arm crossing exercise um, <clears throat> that begin, that sort of leads some of the question about our brains resisting change, but change is possible. Yeah, it's one of my favorite exercises. It's actually one of the few that I, I did put in both books because it's just so important in my How to Like Yourself book as well as this Resilience Workbook. Is, um, it's such a cool thing. And anyone who's listening right now, you can do it, um, you know, unless you're driving. Don't do it now. Do it later. <laughs> um, but what you can do is you can just cross your arms without thinking. Don't, don't overthink this. Just cross your arms as you normally do. And then just gently look down at which arm is kind of on top, which one's the one that's over top and tucked in, if you're a lefty or a righty. And then just uncross your arms and then just kind of shake it out, like just kind of without, you know, don't again, don't overthink it. And now just try to do it the other way. Try to get your arms to cross the way you don't normally do it. So your other arm should be on top and the the one normally should be underneath. And as you kind of 
fight that normal wanting to do it the way you've just always done it is happening in your brain and body and your arms and your brain can't quite figure out which arm goes where and then you kind of figure it out and then you kind of feel funny as your body's going through that process as you do this exercise this is a great real life in real time example of how our brains often feel when we also try to change uh, thought patterns so physical stuff is certainly something that our bodies like to do habitually Um, But also this is the same response we'll have to thought patterns we've always thought in the same way. So for better or for worse, let's say your brain has always had a thought pattern somewhere in there of, you know, I think I'm stupid. And you go to say, you know what, actually, I'm actually pretty smart. Your brain will go, nope, 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 nope. (laughs) And it'll kind (laughs) of uh, go against you for a little bit, Um, just like this arm crossing exercise. So that little resistance is super normal and it's sort of part of the process. So kind of leaning in and embracing that shift and change. Mm. One of the things you mentioned that's come up recently is it's it's hard, Cheryl, to even let go of predictable things about ourselves that are we may not have liked. Um, so, so in a few cases, uh, some teens have lost weight. And when people, and they've worked hard at it and they're feeling healthy about it, but when people say, hey, you look great now, they're left, Cheryl, kind of thinking, really, then how did I look before? Um, so that they don't know really how to embrace it. They almost feel some allegiance to their old self. So I was wondering how would you explain that to someone or how would you make sense of that as people change? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that really does go with that activity I have in this book around um, this idea of letting go of your old story as you look at embracing your new one and recognizing that as we shift and change, we're going to get different responses from the world around us. But the most important story of all is the one we have and hold in ourselves and our bodies and our brains. So, you know, no matter what we look like, no matter who we are, no matter how we act, we'll always have people that like us, that dislike us, that have certain judgments and certain opinions. And as we receive those, whether they're positive or negative, we want to always be checking back in with ourselves of what do we believe and what are our values, which is another activity in this book of who are we and what, what do we believe and what do we hold dear. And as people reflect back to us what they might see, remembering that there's always two filters in place. There's the filter that we receive their information from. So how we view the world, it has to go through our filter and how we hear them. There's also a filter between that person and us too. So there's, we each have our own filter. So what they say and what they see is also going through their own worldview. So as we kind of are able to see each of those sides of the story, the biggest thing we have to keep coming back to is our own worth, our own value, no matter who we are, no matter what we're like. So long as we're in alignment and in tune with ourselves, we're on the right track. One of the things I love about um, this part of the book is where you invite people to, if they feel like they're moving beyond just part of themselves, that they improved, that they, they write it down, they put it in a book. They throw it away, they draw a picture of it to literally concretize movement, change, or even wanting to hold on to or remember a part of themselves that never dared to run track, but is running track now. So, I mean, the movement and the belief that you can change without losing yourself is a really valuable one. 
Absolutely. It's one of the, you know, sometime oft forgotten uh, exercises and parts of the process of change that we, we don't always remember to spend a lot of time on. But change often requires a bit of actual um, grieving sometimes. That grieving isn't always a bad thing. It's just a process of honoring and letting go and making room and space for change. Because if we don't create that space first, we kind of block the entry of new things into our life. So first Mm -hmm. we have to let go of the old, grieve it, honor it, acknowledge it, before we can open up that space inside ourselves to allow what's coming coming up next for us. Mm. Now, your next, I think, extremely important goal is overcoming anxiety. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about the way you distinguish good and bad stress. Uh, if that's or why we have stress in great situations and difficult situations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so overcoming anxiety, that's certainly part of, so the, the, I guess the overarching goal of the next section of the book is the overcoming adversity, and certainly anxiety and stress can be part of that. So as we kind of face adversity, Adversity in our life, it usually does. The very next thing it creates is exactly what you said, which is stress. And one of the first steps, um, which seems to be really important because uh, our bodies are like the car we're driving through this life, if we don't understand how our car works, it can be kind of scary when then different sort of lights are flashing on the dashboard and trying to get our attention and we don't know why or what's going on. Right. So if we can understand stress and first how it works in our bodies, so we understand what it feels like when our heart races and when our breathing goes up and we get a little shaky or sweaty then um, these are all things that are important as we learn how to then sort of embrace those sensations so we can dig in and still access uh, the different parts of our um, tolerance to be able to get through that. So we talk a lot about distress tolerance then, which is the ability to experience uncomfortable sensations, physical and emotional, and sort of sit with it, slow down, allow it to happen, not struggle against it, And then still stay in alignment with our values and what we want in our lives, even if at times we might feel uh, uncomfortable or even very uncomfortable. One of the things that you ask, um, you talk a little bit about the ice cube um, activity. Absolutely. Totally one of my favorite ones. Um, And I've I've done this a few times in in real time, both at sort of workshops I run or speaking engagements. And it's always fun to see everyone go through this. So what you do is you you get a ice cube and a bowl and a timer. And you just start the timer off and grab the ice cube in your hand and squeeze it real tight. And just notice what your brain and body start to do. So your body will have some physical sensations that come up. And your, um, uh, your, your hand, you know, your, your thoughts are starting to race and you might want to let go. So then um, you're just going to try and see how long you can keep holding on, even though you're starting to feel really uncomfortable. And just tracking and noticing what are the things that allow you to hold that ice cube longer and what are the things that make you feel like you have to let go? What are the thoughts that trigger each type of response? Um, and you can do this in a ne- another time if you have to let go. Notice the time uh, what, when you have to let go. And then if you um, are able to keep holding on, what are the types of thoughts that allow you to keep holding on? And those are a really quick shortcut into noticing your immediate stress responses because uh, they also tend to be the same or very similar for emotional responses when we start to feel uncomfortable with our emotions. Um, and then applying what we can learn about our physical uh, resilience and shifting that over to our emotional resilience. 
So it's interesting to me, and I think uh, something that you underscore, let's say with the ice cube, that if someone just put a cube in my hand and as a punishment made me hold it, I, I think I'd have a different experience than if I was in this activity trying to see, hey, how long could I hold it? That is how you define the particular situation emotionally and intellectually really does change your take on it uh, in, in terms of how, how you process it and how you feel about it. You know, the uh, as you say, you describe, you know, people... If you, if you put someone on a, a um, roller coaster who hates rides, they're not having a good time. If you put a real thrill seeker on the front car, they love it. So how yeah. we, you know, how we, what we bring in terms of definition can really help us deal with adversity and stress. Yeah, which is um, another section of that book. We talk about the difference between grit and growth mindset versus a fixed mindset. So having grit is the ability to, to dig in and stay with your values, even when it's really hard. The growth mindset is our ability to see that uh, we can always get through things. We can always expand. We can always treat difficult experiences as learning experiences, and they too bring value and importance to our life. And when we go through life with that perspective, it's just like what, like you said, when you sit in the front of the, the roller coaster and you want to be there, even when it's scary, it can be fun versus if someone straps us in and says, off you go, good luck, and we don't <laughs> want to be there. That's a way more terrifying and uncomfortable experience for sure. Right. We're going to take a brief break. You've been listening to Psych Up Live. We're speaking with psychotherapist and author Cheryl Bradshaw. Her new book is The Resilience Workbook for Teens, Activities to Help You Gain Confidence, Manage Stress, and Cultivate a Growth Mindset. Stay with us. We have much more coming. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. There are many people who claim to be dog experts, yet they don't really provide a connection between dog owners and their best friend. This is where the BS stops. Listen for Taming the Wild and Your Dog with expert author and nationally recognized dog trainer Brian Bailey. Each show has experts, professional trainers, and veterinarians to give you the right answers. Listen for the safety and well-being of your dog. Listen every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you ever experienced the joy of living? Not just aspects of your life, but the true joy of life itself. Barry Shore has. You could call him an ambassador of joy. From a successful entrepreneur to becoming a quadriplegic due to a rare disease to his ongoing recovery through swimming and physical rehabilitation. Barry now presents his gifts to others as host of The Joy of Living. All you need to do is tune in. Listen live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, 
and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now, back to Psych Up Live. Hi, welcome back. I'm here with author and psychotherapist Cheryl Bradshaw, and we've been talking about building resilience in teens. And drawing from her workshop and her workbook, rather, thus far we've covered adapting to change and dealing with adversity. And now we're taking a look at the third goal in this workbook, which is finding your strength. Cheryl, what do you think is important in terms of the exercises that you offer in this section? So finding your strength is probably, I think I have a little bit of a a bias. This is one of my favorite sections because it really also ties into my first book, How to Like Yourself. And uh, finding your strength is all about kind of getting in touch with yourself. And some of my favorite uh, activities around um, leaning into vulnerability, dealing with fears, and finding the positive things about yourself that you can rely on even when things might be tough in your life. So one of the things that I thought was really interesting because it's with adults too, is in in dealing with fear, you, you talk about a technique called follow the fear. Now, many of us do the catastrophizing of, What if I don't make it on time? What if I don't pass the test? Uh, What if I don't get a good medical report? What if no one sits with me with lunch? What if no one wants to sit at the lunch table with me? And you change that to inviting the youngster, I would say anyone, but in this case, our adolescents, to work on moving from what if to what if to then I can. Could you describe that a little? Yeah. So, so often, right, when our brain is 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 dealing with stress, dealing with change, it tends to hyper-focus on all the fears. That's our brain's way of trying to protect ourselves, of thinking of all the things that could go wrong as sort of a, a snap reaction to things that feel scary or different or unsafe or, or whatever might be going on for us. So, this is a really nice thing our brain does. It's trying to protect us. But the trouble is sometimes we forget that there's a next step after that. So once we notice what some of the fears might be, the very next step is to now kind of embrace our strength and think through what we can do with that. So if our brain throws up a fear like, what if no one sits with me at lunch today? Instead of just sitting in that and being like, what if, oh my God, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. Then we can actually just take the next step and be like, okay, well, what if nobody does? what would I do next? Okay, I can, or I could. And then you sort of think through different options that you might have. Maybe you could ask someone uh, if you can join them. Maybe you can um, 
you know, go do a bit of an activity or something, maybe pick up some of your extra homework that you haven't had time to do in class so you can be productive that lunch. Um, lots of different things you can do uh, in all sorts of different situations when you're feeling stressed. And if you don't know what to do, if your brain throws up one of these what ifs, um, you can also kind of call a friend, as it were, you know, someone in your life that might be able to help answer the question if when you turn inside, uh, you're not able to think of what your options might be. And the more you do that, actually, when you uh, work with mentors or friends or family members or, or trusted loved ones, and they help you do this practice, that actually is a really big key to resilience as well. It's sort of threaded throughout the book that while we build internal um, strengths, we also want to think of our support systems. And as we practice those strengths, they start to download in our brain and become more confident as we go and we do them more and more often. Mm. Well, two things I love about that is once you move from what if to then I can, generally you stop ruminating. Because you have a a solution in place. And when it involves, and I know one of the suggestions you give is to have people create a list of, okay, who would I call to cheer me up? Who would I call for advice? Who would I call for just to give me a laugh, etc.? As I mentioned to you in our back and forth, I find that even with adults, when you're in a stress, traumatic kind of uh, headset, it's kind of a cognitive fog, Cheryl. It's like all of a sudden you can't think of anybody to call. But if you have a list and if you've generally thought ahead, okay, if I don't make the team, I'm going to call my brother. Um, if I don't get invited to the prom, I'm going to go sit with my girlfriends. When there is an actual plan and there are people involved in it, it seems to me to double the resilience. Absolutely. Absolutely. Very well said. The other one of the other things that you mentioned here is the thought traps that all of us, no matter what age, get involved with. Maybe we could just go over those quickly. Yeah. So the thought traps. This is um, they're also kind of frequently referred to as cognitive distortions, but that sometimes isn't as intuitive as as this phrasing of thought traps. Because what it really does is it sort of traps us in this little box of this one way of thinking and we get stuck in it. And we have to remember um, that we can get ourselves out of these little boxes, even if the moments that we're in them, they feel like there's no way out. And one of the best ways to find the door out of one of these boxes is to be able to put a bit of a, a name to what's happening. So some of the common ones are things like all or nothing thinking. That's sort of like I'm perfect or I'm a failure. Things are black or white. Um, Whereas so often there's a whole bunch of gray in between that we have to remind ourselves to step back a little bit and allow ourselves to see. There's overgeneralization. That's sort of this idea that if if one thing in our life kind of sucks, then everything kind of feels like it's going to suck forever. So it's sort of that one little negative that sort of makes this cascade of um, everything feeling the exact same way. There's the one... Um, called disqualifying the positive, which is sort of this idea of, well, that didn't really count anyway. Like, well, okay, I got a good mark on that test, but like, it was really easy, so it didn't really count. So remember to kind of remember that even the little things count, and they're all the big things when you really think about it. Um, and they all add up to um, sort of the big picture in our life, and that we're allowed to celebrate all the little things, no matter what they are. 
Uh, there's jumping to conclusions. So that's sort of when our brain kind of assumes we're right. We either sort of mind read. We assume what we think someone else is thinking is exactly correct. Or we assume how we think the future is going to turn out is exactly correct. And both of those ways of thinking obviously have lots of errors to them that we don't know how things are going to turn out. And sometimes what we assume people are thinking isn't true. And to make room and space for all these different alternatives. And then there's catastrophizing, which is sort of everything's going to end in the world when one thing goes wrong. There's emotional reasoning, which is when we, you know, believe that the way we feel is the way our whole life is going to be forever. Um, And then there's the should statements, which is when we sort of tell ourselves what we should do in our lives, which really doesn't do anything other than make us feel guilty. So we're giving ourselves permission to not do those things and to let ourselves come out of those ways of thinking. You know, when I read these, I thought of them in two different ways. One of them is, of course, the self-reflection. Am I jumping to conclusions? Am I thinking all or nothing? But the other that I think could be really important, Cheryl, is buddy care. I think teens make great sort of confidants to each other. So if a teen could put these in perspective when they were talking to their friend, it would be great for the teen to say, you know, you're jumping to conclusions. You know, we don't know if he hates you. We don't know if the coach doesn't want you. Or um, when a teen says to another teen, but wait a minute, you did, he did, the coach did play you for the start of the game. And when someone says that didn't count, we weren't playing a hard team. I would say if I were mentoring the kid, you know what? Even though he didn't agree with you, he heard it. It's on record so that I would love teens to use these not only for themselves Cheryl but even in their responses to each other Mm -hmm. which is a great point because that ties right back into that big picture resiliency where again the workbook can do a lot in terms of helping our inner um, strength and our inner skill set but when we look at where to go from here once we build resilience in ourselves and once we learn some of these skills in ourselves, one of the greatest gifts we can then do and give to the people around us is to help share the knowledge and become each other's, you know, cheerleaders and support systems and safe spaces to um, sort of discuss and open up and, and talk about what's really going on in our lives. Um, So that, yeah, absolutely. Now, one of the things that when I read this technique, I thought a lot about bullying, and I wondered what you thought about it, your idea of developing an assertive defense of yourself. Maybe you can share that one a little. Yeah, so the assertive defense of the self, that's sort of a really neat technique um, that Christine Podesky, um, the author of Mind Over Mood, sort of, I was at a workshop and she uh, she talked uh, a little bit about this approach. And this is sort of a really neat way of remembering that regardless of other people's um, thoughts or aggressions or opinions that you don't actually have to do any work to change their minds. You don't have to do any work to um, try to attack back. Like this is um, just getting closer and closer to yourself, your values, and what you know is your truth. So that when someone says something or makes a joke, like says, oh, like, way to go. You answered the wrong question in class. Like you said the wrong thing. How stupid are you? You know that, hey, I know why I took a chance and answered that question. And I'm glad that I did because that's how I know I'm going to learn best in that class. I'm sorry that you don't feel the same way. 
So there's no need to attack. There's no need to become aggressive. There's, all you're doing is coming back to yourself, your own reasons for the way that you did things, why it was important to you and why it was okay, stating that as fact and letting the other person have whatever reaction they want and it doesn't actually have to affect the core of yourself or, or your being. So it's a really neat way to... Um, you can also just do this in your head. I do this with a lot of clients as well, that when we have fears or, or we imagine things are going to have judgments um, or that people are going to have opinions, you can sort of just practice these in, in your head, even if these conversations never actually happen, that by just imagining through them, it actually helps build that inner confidence and allows you to see that no matter what other people's opinions are or what other people's judgments are, you're going to be fine and you're going to be able to get through it. And eventually those people will go off and carry on with their lives again and you'll feel strong and centered in yourself so to the for the teen who hears someone say you're not you're not going to be invited to the party because you're no fun even saying to themselves i'm not sure i'd want to be with you guys anyway um is is their own resilience they don't even have to take on the offensive person mm, yeah you never even have to say these things out loud you know you can opt to walk away from that person or that situation and just do this conversation the rest of it in your head to say "Mm, you know what I'm actually okay you know um, I don't need to I don't need to take that on or that opinion isn't anything to do with me that's that own person's space and place in their journey it's not my stuff to own even though it's uncomfortable and even though I didn't like it and even though I don't, don't agree with it um, I know who I am, I know what I'm about, and sort of really stepping into that in, inner confidence and inner strength. That's a really nice one. The The next goal that you talk about is keeping perspective. What do you mean by that? So keeping perspective is this idea that sometimes, you know, once we have worked through these first three goals, we've realized that we can adapt to change, that even when things are stressful, we can get through them in overcoming adversity. And then um, that third step of finding our strength and knowing that we can kind of dig in uh, that um, ability to get through even the scary stuff, to be vulnerable, um, to take chances, that then we get into the work itself. So then we start doing whatever that scary thing is or or you know all those fears about studying for the test that we didn't think we were going to do well on we've now come to the point where like okay I think I can sit I can study and and I know um, my inner strength I can do this but sometimes when we're in the middle of the work whatever that is emotionally or practically we start to kind of get distracted um, or fears come up again or we start to kind of um, feel a little bit run down. So all these different strategies in the goal four of this book of keeping perspective are to find ways to get through it as we're in the middle of it. So self-care, how are you going to make sure you're okay as you keep going through the work? Um, Mindfulness is about, you know, if we start to feel overwhelmed, Um, how to kind of come back to ourselves in the moment so that we don't get overwhelmed with trying to do everything at once because even when we lean into the work, it still does take time. It's one of the ingredients. It's about coming back to our values, so figuring out what our values are and why are we, you know, even doing this hard work in the first place, why it's important to us in our life. And then the last one's about sort of making sure we still kind of bring a little bit of humor to it sometimes where life can be so serious. And when we're in the middle of something really hard in our lives and everything feels so serious all the time that 
poking a little bit of fun at life, at ourselves, at um, kind of looking at different perspectives um, in a bit of a humorous way or just a little bit of sort of a creative way can really help just remember to remind us that, you know, life is going to keep going. This too shall pass and uh, we're going to be okay. And I think whether it's telling yourself, you know, this is just a crazy day for me and uh, or, or a best friend about how all your books dropped and then one of them fell in a puddle. Uh, humor, as you say, and the capacity to even talk to others about your own crazy situation is really seen as really an, a kind of a glimpse of your own self-esteem because it means you don't have any problem with showing the world that I'm not perfect. In fact, isn't it a funny story? So I, I thought that that your idea of life is messy and messy can be funny is a really great one to add. The other thing that you do that I've not heard done before that I thought was invaluable is that when someone's doing self-care, whether they're doing yoga or they're taking a run or they're putting on their favorite song on their phone, you suggest, do you notice how you feel afterwards? And I think that often gets unnoticed. So I think when you actually ask people to notice so how'd you feel, even though it was a three-minute song after you let it play? I think that really reinforces it, Cheryl. Yeah, it is. You know, I sort of thought this as I was noticing with a lot of my clients. You know, we talk about self-care and they'd go and do something and they'd say, you know, I didn't really feel much better. And it really showed up that not everyone's self-care is going to look the same. And it's not just about, you know, reading those uh, Instagram posts about the most inspiring self-care items. It's about noticing which ones are applicable for you? What were, what sort of makes your clock tick and what sort of makes your body feel better? Not just what everyone else might be doing, but really kind of tailoring it to your own awareness and your own responses of what feels good for you specifically. Great. Good. We're, we're going to take a brief break. You've been listening to Psych Up Live. We're speaking with psychotherapist and author Cheryl Bradshaw. She's sharing the goals and strategies from her important new book, The Resilience Workbook for Teens, Activities to Help You Gain Confidence, Manage Stress, and Cultivate a Growth Mindset. Stay with us. Much more to come. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com There are many innocent people who were found guilty of crimes that they did not commit. Join criminal defense investigator Jeff Stein for Is There Really Truth and Justice for All? Each show, we'll discuss the problem, and it is a problem. The fact that because of incompetent investigations and a poor judicial system, anybody can become a victim. Can we fix this? Tune in to find out. You can listen Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you or someone you know interested in attending college? With both college tuition and college enrollment up 60% since 2002, there is a lot of competition, and careful planning needs to be a part of the process. Tune in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and featuring a team of college coach experts. We'll bring you the tips, techniques, and know-how to navigate the road to college and do so the smart way. 
Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Want an insider's pass to everything that goes on in Hollywood? Join Summer Helene every week for Behind the Scenes. Summer Helene is known as the Duchess of Hollywood because she knows the insiders, legends, and celebs and brings the stories, the gossip, and the backstage scoop. It's the real Hollywood, though, so this program is for adults only. Behind the Scenes can be heard live every Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now, back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back to Psych Up Live. Hi, folks. We're back, and we're speaking to Cheryl Bradshaw, We're looking at the goals in her new resiliency workbook for teens, and Cheryl and I are up to her important fifth goal, which is staying focused. Cheryl, what can we share from that topic? Yeah, so now that we've sort of come along, um, so we've done adapting to change, overcoming adversity, finding your strength, keeping perspective, and then once we kind of get that far along in the work, um, the staying focused goal is sort of wraps up the tail end of this book, which is that sometimes we can be really enthusiastic and we can find our strength and we can kind of feel really good about everything. But again, once we get into the work of staying with it and, you know, overcoming and and keep hitting roadblocks and things aren't always as straightforward as we may have hoped. um, It's, it's really good to remember to stay on track and different ways to notice that if you're kind of on track or off track. And the first one of that is um, sort of looking at, really being clear about what your goals are and why you're doing them and how to make sure you're staying on track with them. So that's something we call the SMART goals. Um, People have probably heard of that, you know, both in curriculum or sometimes in workplace, that the SMART goals are a really neat way of outlining um, what you want and why. So uh, each letter stands for something different. So you want your goals to be specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and timely which means we have to know exactly what we're doing. Um, We want it to be something we can actually measure if we're on track. We want to make sure it fits uh, with, you know, our abilities and our stage in our life. Is it really attainable? Um, That's sort of realistic. Um, Is it going to fit into our overall kind of big picture of our life? And then sort of the timeline of, of something that makes sense on exactly when and where we want to achieve something. So, Having a clear picture of what you want and why um, is a really good sort of additional tool once you've found your inner resilience, uh, strength, and and dealing with stress so that you can kind of really head all the way to the finish goal because it's not just a one-day or two-day kind of experience. You know, a lot of the things we want in life are that we need to get through the tough times in life um, take, you know, take quite a bit of time to, uh, to follow through. I like I love the example that you use because I think sometimes teens want to do something. Um, they want to run track, 
but they don't really know how to go from I want to do that to actually trying out for the team. So uh, the whole idea with the SMART goal um, breakdown, I think you did. You gave volunteering as an example. So uh, someone wants to volunteer and even inviting them, well, well, specifically, what type of place would you like to volunteer in? And how many hours would you want to give to it? And what would work with your other you know, your other school activities. And, you know, how realistic are, is this for you to think you're going to be there every afternoon? Now, you'd want, and go, and it goes on to, it might be very relevant to your idea of meeting new people. What else could it offer you? And then, okay, now how are we going to find the place to volunteer? I think youngsters have a hard time with that breakdown, Cheryl. That's why I loved it in the book, because I think, you know, of course, if it's the parent, we don't know if they're going to respond. But even if the parent used an example themselves when they are in a listening mode with their kid or their kid's in a listening mode with them, it does really break it down. It's as good for adults as for kids that the whole idea of, you know, I really, let's do, I, I should run track. Well, how are we going to start getting into running? You know, really breaking it down makes it possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it doesn't seem so big or so overwhelming. It's like, oh, yeah, this is doable for sure. Now, one of the things you, you offer is what you call the resistance or, or the dots of avoidance. What do you mean by that? Yeah, so this is a, a great exercise that actually uh, Russ Harris, who, who works with the acceptance and commitment therapy, um, outlines. So he has this kind of cute uh, acronym called DOTS, and each of these letters stand for different things that sometimes our brains or bodies start to do when we're in um, uncomfortable experiences. So the D stands for distraction, the O stands for opting out, the T stands for thinking strategies, and the S is for substance use. So sometimes when we're really stressed out, you know, distraction is often a number one thing that shows up. We kind of start Netflix, binge watching, um, (laughs) you know, the things that we don't really need to be doing, scrolling on Facebook and whatever, that keep us distracted from um, our true goals. So sometimes, um, again, similar to that self-care exercise, you want to notice how do you feel as you're doing it and how do you feel after you're doing it? Um, and then noticing the big picture in your life is, is it keeping you, um, in alignment with your goals and your true self, or is it taking you away from those things? So in small doses, distraction can be good. If you're feeling really overwhelmed, a little half hour sitcom can kind of get you back on track and get your head back in the game. But six hours of, uh, some sort of show might not be in alignment (laughs) with what you're trying to do. So just sort of, you know, being aware of that and where you're at. The opting out is, you know, sometimes when we're anxious about maybe going to a new social event or trying out for a team and we start to feel anxious, we're like, oh, you know, well, maybe I just won't. And um, again, sometimes we have to opt out of things that are overwhelming us that aren't in alignment with our life. But sometimes opting out actually takes us away from um, what we want to do and what's important to us. So again, being conscious and aware of that. And then the the T, the thinking strategy is probably the hardest one on this list to kind of really notice because a lot of times thinking strategies are exactly what we teach and we talk about is how to kind of think about your thoughts and notice them and all these different things. But what's really interesting about the thinking strategies is sometimes even those can take us away from what we're trying to do in our life. Sometimes we sit and we think and we overthink and we plan and we look at it from this angle and that angle and all these different things for so long that we get stuck in, in action. 
rather than using the straight thinking strategies as a way to align us with what we want to do. But then at some point, we kind of have to hit that lift off button. We have to move from thinking and planning and worrying and, and all of these different things um, to actually then doing. And, and that's sometimes the hardest leap. Um, and the last one, of course, substance use. That's um, the obvious ones we all know of, of right, with, with drugs and alcohol. But what's interesting here is um, often, you know, food can be one that shows up in substance use where mm-hmm. sometimes we use uh, snacking or foods to um, make ourselves feel better or distract ourselves from uh, what might be really going on that isn't in alignment with it, what we want in our life either. You know, I want our listeners to un- just to know and understand that in the Brazilian's workbook itself, Cheryl has described just what she's describing on the show in a way that I think most teenagers would find very interesting because it very much sounds like she's talking right to them. And then she has set up for every single one of the goals we've been talking about actual space in this workbook. One of them is called Let's Try It. Um, and then sometimes try some more so that it wouldn't just be that a student, there's, there's actually very little, uh, it's not heavy duty reading. It really just gets to the point of each of these goals. And then it gives very interesting activities that connect with each of them. So even if a teen was like, what is this? They might look at what she's asking them to do and the lines that she offers, it's, it's literally a workbook, and try something out. I think it's very appealing in the way it's set up. It's not set up as a textbook, um, and it's the kind of thing that I think teens would scribble into and maybe try some activities and not others. But I want our listeners to know, Cheryl, that this is not just a cognitive this um, information book. This is really an integration of some ideas with an opportunity for the youngsters to work on them. Yes. Thanks so much for, for your kind words. Uh, And that really is one of the the main goals of this book is my first book is it's got some activities too, but it doesn't have space to, to write in the book itself that, you know, one of the really cool things is this book has it all in one place that you don't need a separate book on top of it. It's all there right in front of you. You can take it around, throw it in your bag, um, keep it next to your bed and work on it at your own pace. And uh, yeah, really practical and uh, quick and easy things to do where you can learn some really big and life-changing um life lessons so one of the things i asked gerald at the break is so if i'm the mother of a teen and i get the book and i think it's terrific what's my best way of involving my teen in it or suggesting it what do you think about that cheryl yeah, so I think a lot of it starts with uh, relationship with uh, our, our teens and and sort of just taking a little bit of an honest inventory of, of where you're at with your teen. Is there a fair bit of tension or do you guys have a pretty good ability to kind of talk about these types of things? And if you do happen to be at a point in your life with your, with your teen where there is some tension, um, sometimes the best way to demonstrate um, that sort of faith and connection for your teen is to kind of start doing the work yourself. So sometimes when there's tension, a lot of that uh, the teen often feels a little bit targeted or that they're the problem and they don't want to be the problem. None of us want to be the problem, right? But um, if we take some ownership as the adults in the relationship and say, you know what, 
I'm going to take the initiative and learn some of this stuff and, and show and demonstrate and role model what it looks like to do some of this work and, and integrate it into my own life um, without sort of putting it on the team and saying, you have to learn this, you have to do this work, like you're a problem, then this is really an inspiring way of rebuilding some of that trust and connection if there is some tension in your life. So um, even though, you know, the cover says uh, for teens, you know, any book can be done by anyone. And I have uh, clients of mine in their 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s that do these books and, and work on these exact same um uh, activities because they're really good for all of us. So and if you work on them yourself and then translate it and demonstrate it for your teen, that might be your best bet on on showing them. And sometimes teens are very responsive when instead of asking them what's going on or focusing on something they're having trouble with, the parent says, you know, I've been trying to, I'm having such trouble studying for this course I'm taking, or I'm trying my best to get to the gym, but I'm not quite there yet. So I'm, I'm doing this smart goal thing so that sometimes it just makes, as you say, they're not the identified patient in the situation. So. Mm-hmm. So, Cheryl, if you were to give our listeners a take-home message, what would it be? So, I think the take-home message um, about resilience is, from my kind of perspective working with clients, is it's, it's not a one-time deal. It's not a, okay, now I've figured out resilience, I'm off to the races for the rest of my life. This is, you know, something we keep coming back to. And I think there's this way life has this sort of neat ability to kind of keep leveling us up a little bit in our ability and and sort of challenging us with new things at at each point in our life. So what it's really cool, you know, the reason I tend to like writing for teens and working with teens is it does really help if we can start early when we can get some of the basics and get some of these things as early habits, as early sort of parts of our lives so that we can keep using them, building on them, developing them, um, expanding on them at every point in our life going forward. Um, but knowing that even just because we're a certain age doesn't mean we're, we're done or that, you know, we have all the answers to, to make sure we stay open to the work and um, being truly honest and engaged with our inner selves, no matter where we are in our life. It's terrific. Now, how can they find your books? So each book, um, both How to Like Yourself and the Resilience Workbook for Teens is available um, in all major bookstores. So Barnes & Noble, um, in Canada, Chapters Indigo, online, Amazon, um, as well as the first book, How to Like Yourself, is also on Audible as an audiobook. Mm. Um, it should be in libraries and local things like that as well. Um, yeah, great. Cheryl, I want to thank you for returning to Psych Up Live for the work you do with teens and what you shared with all of us about resilience. Thank you so much for being our guest today. Well, thank you so much for having me and also for having me back again. I really appreciate it. Okay. I want to thank my listeners. Remember, you can hear this and any prior show as a podcast by 6 p.m. Eastern. This will be a podcast on my host site, on the website of voiceamerica.com on the podcast app of your iPhone on iTunes, on Sketcher remember to drop me a comment or a question at radiohostphillips at gmail.com until next week, mostly take care thanks and be listening 
thank you for tuning in to Psych Up Live. Please join Dr. Suzanne Phillips for another edition of our programming next Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until then, be well and be listening.